part two chapter eighteen of if all these young men by romer wilson this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part two london chapter eighteen the letter it was ten o'clock eight hours of the day had passed and everybody who worked was back at work again josephine sat at her desk in a room of a dismantled flat high up over victoria street her mind was vacant and she stared before her waiting for the inception of a thought the sun poured into the room through the open windows and made beautiful even the flowered wallpaper with its climbing pink roses and ghosts of departed furniture blue files of papers lay on the dirty black desk in front of her and upon the window-ledge stood a bunch of dried-up cowslips in a jam-jar these things were so familiar that she did not notice them everything around her was absolutely familiar the broken cane chair in the corner the knots in the blind cords swinging in the wind the dead plant on the white mantelpiece the highly colored wall map of england that hung beside the file-case by the door somebody had drawn a portrait of the senior clerk upon the wallpaper and near it there was pasted up a notice about the electric light she knew every detail so well that it was to her a rest and pleasure to be up there in that dirty room away from the change and complications of outside life she stared through the window at the view over london which lay before her spread out like a shining white city of the south under a deep blue sky white clouds drifted high in the sunshine and the wind blowing up from the southwest filled the whole world with warm odors from the sea the wind came in through the windows and stirred the papers on the desk and all that was in her mind went away on it so that she sat there like a tree with the breeze fluttering through the branches of her mind and carrying away the gossamer of her dreams presently the senior clerk came into the room and turning her head she said good morning it's too fine to work yes he said standing still and gazing out of the window it's sunny in here and his pale blue eyes became glazed for a minute he continued speaking you know i can't stand the cold it's awfully cold down in my room even to-day you know there is always such a draught he paused again passed his hand over his fair moustache and down his chin and added what a view you have here i can see st paul's can you really there like a shining bubble said josephine so it is he strained his eyes really to be sure that he had seen it and then turned towards the desk and said in a prim official voice may i look through your papers i have lost a letter and i rather think it must be among these josephine watched him go through the files on her desk she knew that the papers there could none of them apply to him but she did not say so when he had finished he looked out of the window again and said i should never advise anybody i cared for to enter the service it's the security which tempts the boy and the status but the pay is damnable one can't marry until one is well over thirty some men do of course after this remark he left the room and josephine wondered for an instant whether it was herself or the sunshine which had caused him to make it but decided that it was the sun when he had gone she went through the correspondence but as none of it appeared urgent she sat back in her chair again and continued to contemplate the morning in the afternoon work would come in and the place would become sociable and full of bustle but this morning she was as far away from daily life as if she were standing upon the top of a lofty mountain she gazed up at the clouds and wished she were above them in the pure sunshine happy in complete emptiness of mind and body 
removed from the possibility of responsibility and from the demands of existence for a minute she determined not to entangle herself again in any human affairs and to live the cold life of a hermit i care for nobody no not i and nobody cares for me she said but immediately she began to wish to have a happy social life and to enjoy the full pleasure of being a human creature suddenly she had a desire to go out into the sunshine to live in the town to be rich and sought after and gay and happy and to spend her time down in the very midst of human existence and a wish came over her to communicate this desire to somebody she knew she took out a sheet of white paper stamped with the arms of england and wrote the official address in one corner but of the letter itself she only wrote the word dear she did not know of anybody who shared her energy for life everybody was grown up and had a nursemaid's attitude towards enthusiasm and spontaneity so it seemed to her she wanted to be wild and young and well loved and to love well in return and for once not to have to key herself down to those around her she wished that blanchard did not hate her she would show him what life was really like what possibilities were in it and what force for a minute she thought she would write to him but she knew that her letter would be nothing but her innermost feelings about life addressed vaguely to love and not at all to a complex social being of flesh and blood she looked up into the sky and continued to watch the clouds sail overhead until one passing before the sun cast a shadow over the town as the sun went in she looked down and wrote with great care after the word dear on the white sheet of paper the word sebastian and asked him in a short sentence to keep the first day of the royal academy exhibition free so as to go to it with her in the lunch hour her desire to live life had come down to this a small action diminutive in comparison with her thoughts she recognized how very small her action was how vast and vaporous were the feelings behind it she sighed and said to herself what a lot of steam there is in a grain of sand what a little bit of our life really counts and wished to add this idea to the letter but she did not as she could not express all the unformulated emotions pressing against her heart she would express none she would not open the throttle yet she would hold steam a little longer but when the right moment came she assured herself she would rush forward safely and recklessly into the world late that night sebastian walked wearily up the concrete steps of the house in which he lived the violet electric lamps cast a sickly white light over the stairs and walls and made them appear steps in one of hell's cold labyrinths they seemed to the young man the endless steps of a dream which he was ascending without getting any higher at last he came to the top and put his key into the door which he wrenched open after only half turning the lock upon the mat lay josephine's letter he bent and picked it up and as he bent thought that his body was falling through his head with difficulty he stood upright again and made himself shut the door walk into his bedroom and turn on the electric light which filled his eyes with a yellow glare he opened the letter but what was in it he did not clearly gather and then forcing himself to take off his clothes undressed turned off the light and threw himself on the bed at every effort of will cold wet waves of pain rose in him and welled out in circles through his brain he thought that he would find repose upon his soft bed in the quiet darkness of his room but he found the sheets and pillows as harsh as nettles 
and the silence of night not warm and enfolding like the silence of the country night but blank cold and empty he was alone by himself in a house full of forms of people that were not alive to him he became terrified and opening his eyes wide stared into the darkness he wanted to groan and talk to himself but he dared not lest somebody might reply to him or something might fly up to the window across the waist and tap out an answer upon the panes he feared now that a shadow would glide across the window and could not understand why he had not drawn the curtains but it was far from him to get up and draw them now something might steal over him as he did so or the floor might go soft beneath his feet as he tried to return to bed the portrait of everett sharp hung on the wall beside him and josephine's letter lay upon the mantelpiece but no angel slipped out of either of them to comfort him no thoughts of happiness or tender dream of love stole into the room to shade his eyes from the terrors that fly by night he lay with stark fear in his heart and stark loneliness in his mind silence and sick dread stretched on all sides like muddy sands in which he was sunk up to his chin his reason left him and in the distance he could see the thin white line of the sea creeping in upon the tide the tide crept nearer and nearer over the grey mud and he knew that in the shallows behind the water was silently gathering soon the first grey wave would glide up to his mouth the next glide up to his eyes and bubble in at his ears and the third flow over his head soon he would be dead he looked upward and found himself dreaming that he was in a place where there were rocks he was standing alone on a long black reef that ran infinitely out to sea sea mews cried dolefully around his head the sun was shining white as molten steel in a grey sky and in the distance a sea-fog was creeping up toward him horror filled the air and terror and leaden sickness overcame him so that he was unable to retreat from the oncoming fog and from the sea which swelled higher and higher up the rocks without breaking into waves he shuddered and awoke and recalled something he had seen before the sun had turned black the stars had come out and that grey swelling water had been pulled back from the rocks revealing the ocean slime he shuddered again and raised himself upon his elbows to look out of the bed memory became clearer and he recollected that long ago at the beginning of the war he had seen an eclipse of the sun at the sea and that the water had all gone out of the bay there was nothing in the room only a miniature sea floating about in the darkness so he fell back into bed again he dreamed now that he was approaching a deserted house not a human being was in sight the house was square and ugly with a slate roof and gilded iron balconies and there emanated from it noiseless waves of terror that overcame him so that his life ebbed out and he sank in a dead heap upon his feet again he dreamed and saw the house rise into an evening sky and become a gigantic bulb of glass with a light inside it the light grew brighter and began to revolve and everything that its rays touched sank down and died this was the end of the world this was the last horror of human existence man had at last conceived his own extermination sebastian awoke and sprang out of bed he could not tolerate his dreams any longer even now that he was wide awake he was still afraid he began to imagine that something was in the next room when he got into the passage he became convinced that the door would resist him if he tried to open it that the room was full of an expanding force or that pressure would come from the centre 
he was sane enough to turn the door handle the door opened as easily as usual and there was nothing there he went in he walked round the room and became calm again but he dared not think of sleep he decided to wrap himself up on the sofa and read and then remembering there was some wine in the kitchen went for it immediately and drank off all there was as he stood in his pyjamas by the dresser the floor struck cold to his feet and he began to wish to spring into bed where it was warm he returned to the bedroom and as he went past the mantelpiece put out his hand and took up josephine's letter which he crushed in his palm he got into bed again and found that the nettle sheets had gone and that the pillow had cooled and though his head ached intolerably behind his ears and at the back of his neck he was able to make the pillows comfortable enough to relieve it he put josephine's letter under the pillow and a gleam of hope entered his heart the loneliness seemed to roll away a little and he remembered that whitsuntide was only three weeks away at whitsuntide he was going down to boxwell house the memory of the garden at boxwell house came back and he saw himself walking in it after dinner feeling happy somebody else was there he remembered now somebody had gone out first and had looked in at the drawing-room window upon him where he was sitting with the sharp family she said in his recollection that was only a dream of the future is nobody coming out it is such a lovely night he saw himself spring up and cry out yes i am i'll be out in a minute he went out he knew what would happen he would go with her and sit on a seat in the orchard and then he would turn as he turned now and would say i love you i love you end of chapter eighteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine